People don't want to eat chocolate, they feel guilty about it. First of all, cocoa's healthy. Uh, chocolate's healthy. It's the sugar in it that's so bad. Chocolate's good for people, and I want to break the guilt barrier. Welcome to the 100 CEO Project Podcast. All right, you guys, welcome back to the 100 CEO Project Podcast. Today, we're excited to have Scott Walker. He's the CEO of Verse Chocolate. The tagline is dark done better, and we'll explain what that means a little later in the episode. For right now, Scott, welcome, and thanks for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you. It's an honor. I've been a privilege. So just a little background on Scott. He, his company is called KSW Global. Serving customers first isn't just a mantra, it's a better way of doing business. Um, what we know about Scott is he comes to us with 19 years of experience in cacao or cocoa. We determined how we're going to say that word. He was also president of ADM Cocoa and lived in Europe for 12 years and was a chairman of the European Cocoa Association. Ultimately, he came back to the States, worked in a few other businesses, and took a few years off from Coco and came back to it as an entrepreneur. And that's the capacity that we want to talk to you about today. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, I appreciate that. So we know that all of you guys out there are navigating the COVID stuff of 2020. It's made a lot of different obstacles and stuff. So as I understand, you've got some strategies that have demonstrated that there are silver linings to this situation. Can you share some of us, some of them with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'd love to. I was uh, recently asked by um, a, a colleague here um, about four weeks ago. He just said, how could you launch? Because we launched Burst Chocolate on the 5th of October. So what, five weeks ago, six weeks ago. And he said, how could you launch a new business in, in the middle of a pandemic? And um, I, he goes, has it really, has it been a problem? And uh, I said, actually, no, I think it's been a gift. I think there's been a lot of positives that come out of the pandemic for us. And I, and he was shocked at that. He said, really explain. I said, well, because of my years of uh, in being in cocoa and in being in Europe, I have a, we all have biases and I had a really strong bias on how cocoa should be done on how chocolate should be done. And I was, I knew that that was a problem coming into my whole venture of trying to start verse chocolate. And, um, and because I was like, Hey, there's a better way to do chocolate. There's a better way to ferment the cocoa, make it less bitter and to make it just taste great. And so that we can have less sugar in our chocolate. And so we had a plan on how we were going to do that before COVID and we're gonna build a factory. And I also know uh, cocoa or cacao is finicky and the same bean can be ran on this, on different equipment and you'll get a different flavor at the end. And I know that from my years of experience. So I'm like, okay, how do I take these biases? And it's like, okay, well let's build a factory. And then from there with that factory, we'll be able to start up because we'll know we can make the exact same chocolate every time and make it the same way once we hit what we wanna do. Well, then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, we were like, what, what do we do? Oh, my goodness. Okay. And we're building the factory in Michigan. And Michigan was hard on shutting everything down. And we're like, oh, my goodness. We took about 48 to 72 hours, our team did. Like, what, what do we do with this information? Um, in fact, we had just signed a lease. Uh, we we're going to put the, the – they're going to start building that uh, building, <clears throat> like, within a week, whenever all this hit. We said, well, 
let's let's rethink this. And we had not been using Zoom. We had not been using anything like this. Every time I went and met, I mean, I would I'd do phone calls, but I would be, I'm a travel, um, <clears throat> I love to get on a plane and just go see people because I believe in relationships. And I think relationships are the only way to really do business. And that's the key of basically everything. And I was like, well, how are we going to do this? And my chocolate maker, Andrew, came back and said, you know, I have the equipment. And you have that equipment you bought, that smaller lab equipment that's sitting in Kansas City. Let's bring it together and let's just start making the chocolate here and see if we can get to the right flavor based off our lab equipment. And I'm like, no, I don't. My bias says that won't work. We're going to have to meet often. We're going to have to be together in a panel. We're going to have to do chocolate tasting. And our team was in Georgia, was in Minneapolis, was in Omaha, Nebraska, was in Missouri and, and in Michigan. And I'm like, that's just not going to be um, practical. Well, and, and so we had these biases. I'm like, wait. And what happened was he started doing it. We started having Zoom calls every morning at 9 a.m. We had, we called it a 15-minute call with the whole team. Nobody else on the team had ever met each other except I'm the only one personally that met everybody. And I was like, okay, how do we bring this together? And everybody understood the goal. Everybody understood it was make a great tasting dark chocolate, a 90% chocolate that tasted like a 70%. That was the goal. We want a great taste with low sugar <clears throat> because our, our research had shown that most people with a certain education understand dark chocolate's good for them, but they're just not sure it's going to taste good. And they associate bitterness with not, not tasting good. And we were going to, okay, we know we can solve that through a couple of ways. So we had to go through all the tasting trials. Well, as that, as we were going through this and we come out, I mean, we're, we're getting, we're using FedEx, we're using the United States Postal Service, we're sending samples around. I bet we tasted, uh, I don't know, somewhere between 40 to 50 samples each uh, person. And what we got was really good, uh, I would say, unfiltered feedback. We had a form, everybody had to fill it out the same way every time, but like nobody was sitting in the room, you weren't hearing things with that, and you had to do it on your own. And so I think we got we got better feedback and we got better guidance from the team of, hey, this is good or this is not good. And there was no peer pressure. There was no, oh, you know, someone gasped or someone said, ooh, that's great. And so I think we got much better clarity by doing that. <clears throat> and I think the other thing that, and, and we saw as we you know, went through and it took us till really about July, we're like, okay, we think we have it early August. We think this is it. And we kept narrowing down and narrowing down on the flavor. To me, the silver lining was that, that all these biases we had, we basically, that we would have normally met, we would have spent a lot more money on travel, we would have spent a lot more time away from our families, we would have done, you couldn't do it, you just could not do it, right? And so you fear, well, okay, we have a goal, we set a goal, we had a vision of this is what we're going to do, and then it was, and everybody, everybody went to that. And I say the other silver lining, and I really thought about this a lot since I talked to you all there last week is we live in a world where people basically really, we don't trust each other. We have a problem globally. We have a problem in the United States. There's not a lot of trust. And I think what came out of this was, frankly, by giving a vision and to people that everybody's on their own, it showed, it showed to them that I trust them greatly, that, hey, we're here together. We're going to figure this out. And that ability to trust, we can, people can talk about it a lot, but it's not really shown much today. And it's really low, I think, around the world. And I'm like, and it was very high in this instance, incredibly high. And that's what you want whenever you're trying to develop, when you're trying to build a team, you want that trust to be incredibly high. 
And I think to me, that was, those are the two silver linings to me. Check your bias because you had to do things differently. And really, you developed a, this, this trust, high trust, because of what we were having to go through at that time. And I think because of the pandemic, you know, people were maybe insecure and they wanted to trust in something. They have to trust in something. And this kind of helped with that too. On that subject of trust, that's interesting and um, a really good silver lining. I'm curious, uh, how do you see that translating to building trust between company and consumers? Do you think the same? I feel like we have a lot of the same issues where people just don't trust companies or brands. So how do you see that getting built out, the trust there? Well, that's a great question. That's, uh, <clears throat> you got to be transparent. I mean, you can't. Um, <clears throat> I think there's, uh, you know, when you have so many, it's almost the more rules you have and the more, the more documents you have, actually the less people trust you. Because it's like, I have to have all this in place to prove that I'm good or to prove that I'm doing the right thing. And, and uh, I came out of a very large company, uh, uh, about a hundred, billion in sales when I left, not the chocolate business I ran. We were a tiny division of, of that company. But, um, and that company is a great company and uh, they still are a great company and uh, ADM, Archer Daniels Midland. But what you, you see is that just not necessarily ADM or others, but the more documents in place, the more people you have on your team, the more levels, you, you have to put those things in place to kind of control then all of a sudden you, you, you lose something. You lose like some humanity part of that. And when you lose that, you, you lose that trust. You lose that, well, uh, okay, but the document says this, but no document, no, there is no document that solves all problems. There is, there's never been one made. So it, it does take, you know, you have to have, where's the gray in that? I, mean, I need to have a conversation. I need to build a relationship because I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about a relationship. It's all about a relationship. That is where, whether it's your brand, whether it's us, us three talking here on, the, on this call, whether it's my wife, my kids, I, uh, my friends, it's all about a relationship. That's where the trust is. You were CEO of large corporations prior to um, starting this endeavor with Verse Chocolate. So now you're officially, um, right now, a small business, quote unquote, and an entrepreneur. And relative to trust and leadership, has your leadership changed? Your style of leadership, for example, and if so, how? Oh, that's a good question too. Wow, you ask good questions. Um, sure, it's changed. Um, I think um, it's changed in a way you're you're just trying to do the right thing. When you're in a big corporation, you're trying. Everybody's trying to do the right thing, but um, everyone's definition of right is different. Um, and so you get into, uh, okay, I got to do the right thing overall for the corporation, but now I'm going to make this weird decision because that's the best thing for the corporation. So you kind of like have to manage these, but you're like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, let's have this conversation. We need to have, I don't know. So you get into this, this competing, uh, you have things that are competing for your time, for your resources, and that's everywhere. Um, and, but when you are, and you're always going to let people down and you know and that's hard to deal with that you're it's just going to happen everybody somebody's not going to be happy with your decision um and when now you're coming to a small business and it's like okay well actually i've got to set the vision i've got to set the and i am setting the vision and i am saying this is where we're going and 
you know, and it's more like what I see the difference is I'm just saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I may be wrong. And in fact, I mean, I, I, I may be really wrong. Um, but you can't say that in a large corporation. You can't say, oh, I may be wrong because you'll just get your head shot off. Um, but here, hey, I may be wrong. But yet the more I, not the more I say that, but the more I'm truthful about that, the more people actually want to be involved and help get it right. Um, that are like, well, I, I, I want to be part of that. And I want to help you get it right because I, I think you're right. And let's just see if we can prove it out. So I think it's this, the authenticity of where you're trying to go is just, it's just, it's just more authentic. You said the key word, <laughs> authenticity. Uh -oh. <laughs> I want to go back to a comment that you made when we spoke to you last week and regarding COVID and the way that you do, now forgive me if I don't have the right term, but taste testing. So if I understand you right, you kind of broke with the norm and you involved non-expert taste testers. First off, it's gonna generate a like, wait a minute, is that the right thing to do? And how can this really give us the result that we want? So can you talk about that that experience? Oh boy. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it all comes down to, I mean, we talked to some official taste testers or you know, uh, professional taste testers. Said, okay, we can, we can do this. And I was involved, you know, my chocolate days uh, at ABM, we had taste testing panels at our factories and you'd get involved and you saw how those things went. And um, I was not an expert taster, um, but we had expert tasters and they tell you, you want to do this, you want to do that. I'm like, okay, we can, we should, we should do that. And we did a little bit of that here, maybe about a year ago. And we kind of, but the feedback was not helpful. And you're like, well, okay, what do we do with that? Like, well, we know the audience we're targeting. We know exactly who we're trying to sell this chocolate to. We know that there's a description of the of the person who we're trying to, you know, we know the age, we know the college education level, we know the basically their income, we know, you know, uh, what kind of a job they may or may not do. We, we know who we're gonna target. And we're like, well, wait a minute. Basically, everybody who's involved in this fits into that category. Why don't we, let's just, I mean, let's just be real. Uh, and just, let's just us try it. Um, and then if we like it, let's let other people try it around us who are in that same category and just get that feedback. And like, okay, spending tens of thousands of dollars on a professional panel, we're like, you know, I mean, we're not, we just know it's got to taste great. And it's got to taste great. And everybody's, everybody's, uh, everybody tastes things differently. As long as we can get the general, hey, this tastes great, and there's a familiarity around it, it led us to incredible things. And the other thing we did with this, which I don't know. I don't know if anybody does this. We did have three experts um, around the world who were helping us, who understood chocolate. But each individual expert didn't know there was another expert involved. And so we would send them samples. We'd ask them specific questions, and they would come back. And we didn't look. We'd ask the same question to most of them, but we'd ask them. And we started seeing things that were like at odds. And then there were times where they were both in the, or all three were on the same page. And it was incredible that, that feedback and be able to do that that way. Cause normally you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. They, they would all be talking or there would be, and there would be more collaboration, but we kind of tried to just say, give us your best on your own and let us, we'll decipher what we think's best. And I think that was a, that was, that was, that would have been non, I think, normal to most uh, people trying to launch a chocolate business, but or anything with flavor in it. 
I'd love to spend a minute on supply chain. So you mentioned when we last talked as well that you, because of COVID, you weren't able to get the beans that you wanted to use. So you had to make some changes there. And then you have a really interesting um, global brand statement that says you can't serve customers better without lifting up the entire supply chain. And that when the supply chain is healthy, we're able to best serve our customers and ultimately the end consumer. Can you share some of your views around supply chain? Because um, this was also the situation with your pet food supply company as well. You also took a lot of care with your ingredients. Well, I think one of the things, if I can, if I can give this background, you know, I, I lived um, uh, three different times in Europe. And for the last time, I lived 10 straight years in Europe. And from 2004 till the end of 2014. And in Europe, like um, non-GMO was kind of becoming, or non-GMO was absolutely, everything was non-GMO. You, you just couldn't even add, I mean, that wasn't even possible to bring it in from, I don't know, that started in like 2000 or 1999. So the words non-GMO really weren't even a conversation by anybody at the dinner table. Um, and I guess what I was gonna say, gluten-free started becoming up and then organic uh, was kind of a, you know, yes, I mean, they had organic and people were focused on organic, but it wasn't a real debate. It's just, you know, like organic or you don't like organic. I moved back here in 2014 and I start to hear people who I would not expect to talk about organic, non-GMO, and gluten-free, like that's like the conversation. And I'm like, what happened? It's like I went into a coma in 2004 because those three words were never mentioned in 2004. I come back at the end of 2014 and I'm like, oh my goodness. And not only in food, but in pet food. And in pet food, that was a big deal. The whole supply, hey, can you get me non-GMO? Can you get me gluten-free? I'm like, so pet food? And I mean, I, I, that was my first experience in that. So that, that thought, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. The U.S. consumer, which is very typical of the United States, we went from not caring, and the Europeans were caring, to we cared so much more than the Europeans. And, uh, and we like pushed it to the whole supply chain now means more. And that, to me, that's what it was. It was like, hey, I care about the supply chain. I like, and, but it first starts with, I like the product. And I like this product. Now I care about pieces of the supply chain, meaning where did it come from? Is it fair? You know, is it ethical? You know, can you tell me more about it? And to me, that's like, well, I, I get why that's happened. And I sit there and say, it's like, okay. Um, and, and it's hard. I mean, you know, the food, the food supply chain, it's safe. I mean, it's safe. That's the number one thing. The food supply chain is absolutely safe. The United States government, the European Union, they've done a great job of making sure our food is safe. I mean, it's safe. It's, it's safe. Um, and, but then because of that, we focus on safety and then um, efficiency um, for years. We can go back to, you know, go back to the Dust Bowl or the Depression where there was not much food around. And, you know, and we, none of us have ever lived anywhere close to anything like that. And we can say the pandemic maybe, but it's really not. And so the most important thing to a government is making sure your people can eat and that they can afford to eat. And so that's been the focus. And that's why companies, great companies like Cargill, ADM, Bungie have done what they've done. And that's why they're so important for us to have good, clean, uh, I wanna say cheap, but yeah, efficiently grown food. And that's why we have farmers out there. You know, um, side note, I grew up on a farm in Illinois. My dad still farms uh, corn and soybeans. So I have this, um, you know, I, I, that's near and dear to my heart, um, agriculture and, and farming. So I'm like, well, we have these supply chains, but what I noticed was there's a lot of questions. And, and when the consumers have questions, we were trying to get the answers. And it's like, well, wait a minute, back to there's all these rules, there's all these books, there's all these things that they have done. And like, well, do I trust that? Can I just talk to the person who does that? Can I, just, I mean, can I have a relationship with someone so I can look them in the eye 
And to me, it became incredibly important that I think there's a better way to do this. So I saw in pet food that there was a better way to do it. And, uh, and then whenever I left the pet food industry, I thought, well, what do I know best is cocoa. And when I was in cocoa, I did it. I did it. I was part of a huge organization. I was part of this, the big cocoa piece. And I was, well, there's, and now that I've had this experience in pet food, I have a different view. I'm like, well, I think there's a different way to do this. And I think there's a way to be more, uh, to be more transparent about this, but also make a better quality product. Um, and, and a lot of people will complain about the price of the cocoa beans or the price of, you know, the, the supply chain. But these are things that I've learned. I mean, most of the costs are in the packaging or in the actual, the, like the last mile almost of the supply chain here in the United States or in Europe, not back to, and that's why there's such a, uh, what do you want to call it? A, a uh, poor distribution of funds through the supply chain. And it took me, you know, I mean, I know everybody, most people can go and, you know, look all that up and see what it is. When you really see it, you start to understand the impacts of decisions you make um, when you're trying to build a chocolate business and you're trying to launch a chocolate business that, okay, that's going to be the impact on the supply chain. Um, and um, that, that's where I go back to my immediate thing was I want to connect a farmer or an innovative farmer to a discerning consumer. Now, can you actually physically connect them? going to be almost impossible in cocoa chocolate because there's so many small farmer or small holders and farmers but the farmer in cocoa they don't really understand that they're trying to grow for taste they don't understand that they think they're growing for yield they don't know they're trying to grow for taste that's the most important part and even all how everything's set up in the big cocoa industry it's not specific around taste it's around yield and it's around the size of the cocoa bean and i'm like well there's a better way to do this and so frankly i'm trying to prove that by doing what I'm doing with burst chocolate. So question regarding uh, growing the beans for taste and not for yield. Can you give us a quick overview of what you are doing, how you're facilitating this change in the conscious and methodology of the farmers? Yeah, so, I mean, um, it's really around specifically the fermentation of the cocoa. So all cocoa is fermented um, and it's, it's and it's basically rudimentary done. It's passed on through the ages and it's saying you should do it. Now, in some areas, um, they spend a little more time on it. Maybe in Central America, Latin America, they oh, put it in boxes, but it comes around the fermentation. In West Africa, it's more done on the ground, on banana leaves, but it's just this fermentation. And what, what I learned, and, and really I had to step away to be able to look at this and see it because I was biased and I was blinded by my experiences was that, and, and I now have experienced it many times, when you ferment the cocoa better, when you do a better job of controlling the fermentation, it's less bitter. But if it's less bitter, you don't need as much sugar. Now, for years, sugar was the cheapest thing you could put in any ingredient in the United States. And so that's a, you know, and sugar has become enemy number one in most diets, right? And that sugar is, you know, you, we just don't want sugar, but sugar makes it taste good. It makes it taste good. It makes chocolate creamy. It makes it do what it does. Um, sugar covers up a lot of sins, if you will, in the uh, in the um, uh, in the natural growing of the cocoa. If there's a problem with the cocoa, if there's you know it just wasn't exactly the right thing. And if you go back to 100 years to when Hershey started her Mars, you know they're getting you know they didn't have 
the technology we have today. And so they're getting cocoa from certain areas of the world that may take, you know, four, five, six months to get there. And when they get there, what are they going to do with it if it's bad? Well, the best thing you can do is, you know, you can put sugar and milk around it to help it uh, get rid of some of that problem. Now, I'm not saying that's what they do today, but that became our taste. That became what we became used to. And so we just naturally, that was what we came used to and in Europe. But now we can react quicker. Um, in fact, I'm working on a, um, with a group called Petrocore um, so that we can get information in, this, in a system as fast as possible so that we can make decisions more um, quicker, uh, that we can make decisions about quality quicker and give that feedback to the farmer quicker so that they know, you know, they need to know, hey, that's not good or that's not, that's not what we're looking for. Um, and right now, it's the, they don't they don't get that exactly, and so there's uh, there needs to be more uh, quicker feedback that's accurate. So our finishing question for you, we always have one tailored to you, is uh, when we caught up with Aaron Keller from Capsule, he was having a some kind of a diet challenge, and he was actually using the Versa chocolate for this challenge. So can you tell us more about why chocolate might be used as a diet tool? Hmm. Well, yeah, um, because it's, um, first of all, cocoa's healthy, uh, chocolate's healthy, it's the sugar in it that's so bad, um, and we know that chocolate leads to better, or cocoa, it has all these, you know, positive polyphenols, it's, uh, it reduces inflammation, uh, you know, there, at one point in time, I know, and there was a study out there, and this would have been probably 2004, 2005, Eminem and Mars came out with a study, uh, I think it was a, that were a where you took an aspirin a day or you could take a package of small M&Ms a day, you actually got better blood flow and uh, the, the M&Ms were actually better than the aspirin. Um, so uh, because of the, uh, the infl reduced inflammation, but now you had the side was you had sugar. Um, that was extra sugar that was going in your body that maybe you didn't need or maybe you did need. So there's all these positives. And so yeah, with Aaron Keller, it was, He's like, wait a minute, you're telling me that cocoa is actually good for me, chocolate's good for me, and that I should be eating it um, because it's got all these antioxidants and polyphenols in it. I'm like, yes. And he goes, well, I'm going to try it for, I don't know if it's 30 days or how long he's trying it for, see if I see a change in, in, in anything in, that I'm feeling or in my body. Um, but also, it's like hard burst chocolate, and frankly, most 90% or 85% when you eat those chocolates, they... It tend to suppress. It's like a. It it is. You eat one, and you're like, oh wow, I, I kind of feel full. Whereas if you eat a more milky of your chocolate, you like the M and M's. You just want to keep eating them, right? You just like, oh, I just want to keep them. I do. So you're just want to keep eating them, and so it's like, okay, it really kind of like, oh, that was um, that was say satiable. Whenever I had that dark chocolate, and it uh, it helps with your appetite at the same time. I, I grew up with it. My grand, late, late grandmother now, she lived into her 90s, but she always kept dark chocolate in the freezer. And she would say, just eat one or two pieces. She was also incredible, in incredible shape and re ate really healthy. But she always say, well, just eat a couple of pieces of dark chocolate every day and you'll live a long time. And she did. So there's something to that. I, think. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, yes. I mean, and I, I, that's, I think it's absolutely true. So Scott Walker of Verse Chocolate. Thanks for sharing your expertise. And most important, thanks for giving us all license to move into the holidays. Uh, that's <laughs> right? <great. laughs> yes. License to eat more 
versus chocolate. Yes. Well, I would love it if you'd eat more versus chocolate, but just, you know what, just eat more chocolate because it's good for you. All right. Well, we want to eat versus chocolate. So tell us, how can people connect with you and how can they get versus chocolate? Um, well, we our website is versechocolate.com. And right now we only sell it on the website. Um, so you can order it right online at versus chocolate, verse like lyric and verse, V-E-R-S-E chocolate.com. And, um, you know, if you want to connect with me, you can, uh, you know, you can send a, a email through there. I think it's support at versechocolate.com. Or if you want to email me directly, I'm happy to, to talk to anyone. It's scott at kswglobal.com. So um, again, that's scott at kswglobal.com. But, you know, try the first chocolate. Um, it's really, the goal is to have a great tasting dark chocolate, a 90%, it tastes like a 70%. Um, and we do that through the combination of the cocoa beans, but also the way we process it in our recipe to be able to make that happen. So I appreciate your time and thank you for um, being interested in uh, what we're doing. Thank you. Um, and for all you guys out there, again, it's Verse Chocolates. Scott Walker has cracked the code. You are free to go eat all you want. Thank you. It's great. Hey guys, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your friends and colleagues who also have to navigate this leadership stuff. As you can see, this project is about to be a mini masterclass in every episode. Best part, it's free. So if you like it, please do us a favor and take a screenshot, share it on social with the hashtag 100CEO. That's 100CEO. That way we can say thanks and share it in our stories. And finally, if you've got some insights you'd like to share and you're a CEO, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at 100ceoproject.com or on LinkedIn at the 100 CEO Project. Until next time, keep leading by example.